Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Freddie, also known as Nighty Night. And alongside me, we have David. What up, Spoop Kids? Spoop Kids, also known as Nightly. And we are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question, why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. If you like what you want to hear from us and want some extra horror-related content, head over to patreon.com forward slash nightlightpod. That's night with a what? Kay. I love hearing that stuff. And I love hearing that people actually do that too. And <laughs> if you haven't noticed, Prince is not here this week. Uh, he's taking care of some um, personal matters. So he will be back next week. But continuing this month of, I believe, Alien Month, we have a special one for us right now. We have M. Night Shyamalan's Signs. First and foremost, David, thoughts? All right. So I'm stoked to have come back with this being my return episode because I have quite a fondness for Signs. Uh, I have memories of watching Signs um, two decades ago. I remember watching it in my sister's apartment on DVD. It's probably like 2002, 2003. And I, at like around the one hour mark is um, the point where I got so scared that I ran out of the living room and I screamed for my sister to turn off the movie because I got too scared. I was probably like 10 years old. Um, But for some reason, I always think back uh, fondly to this movie. I uh, eventually, as an adult, Many, many, many years ago, went back to it, finished it, but I still, it's still been a while and I couldn't really recall what happened. So this was pretty uh, refreshing for me to watch this time around. Um, you know, this movie is, uh, it has a lot of character to it. Um, I'm a fan of it. I know there's, there's a lot of mixed feelings when it comes to this movie. Some people love it, some people hate it. Um, there's a lot of uniqueness with the uh, cinematography here. Um, some unique uh, camera technique and shots that you don't really see a lot. Uh, it really was aiming for uniqueness in that approach. Um, I think that the anticipation of seeing the aliens but not seeing them for the majority of the movie is a great strength to this movie. I think the ambiguity of not knowing what it looks like and just seeing a leg or a hand in the corner uh, is very powerful because imagination is a lot scarier than what you actually see in front of you. Um, I think it does take away from that once you actually do get the reveal of what our aliens look like uh, because, you know, it's a movie from 2002 and the CG uh, looks a little aged at this point, but man, I remember when this was a new movie I thought it looked so real <laughs> and I thought it looked so scary and it, it plays with it well because you get a lot of uh, quick moments of seeing it and uh, I think they knew that it could look a little cheesy if it was in the forefront and uh, they played to it pretty well. I think there's a couple moments of dialogue that feel a little awkward. It feels like someone's just reading a passage off a script or it's a little too... Uh, novelly in its writing but overall i really 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 enjoy this movie 
Yeah, I, I, it's really funny. When I first heard that Signs was going to be our next movie, I already had so many thoughts in my mind. Uh, so a quick story. And I do agree with you where I think showing less was very strong for the movie to do because it has that Jaws effect of your imagination yeah. of like going wild. It's like, oh, what do they look like? I want to know. And it builds that suspense. And then, like you said, it is a product of its time where the CG doesn't really hold up today's standards. But back then, it looked pretty good. It looked like, all right. Um, and even like, it, it's passable, I would say, this time around too. But I've had a very bad experience when I first saw Signs. And I hate that this is the the main reason oh, why I didn't no. like Signs the first watch. Uh-huh. So I saw Scary Movie three before I saw <laughs> the Signs. Yeah. So Scary Movie three makes fun of Signs a lot. Like, it does they completely destroy this movie. And then when I watched it for the first time, I could not get the jokes out of my mind while watching yeah. Signs. So I ruined the experience for myself. That's now, hilarious. I saw it for the first time maybe a few years back, not that long ago. So I was kind of new to Signs in uh, M. Night Shyamalan's, uh, I would say, one of his major movies. And this time around, doing the show notes and like actually paying attention to like the structure, the storyline, the beats, the cinematography, and how everything's done, I was like, oh, this is actually a really good movie. When I'm not focusing on the jokes anymore... It's actually well done. So I actually really enjoyed it this time around, which I was like really happy. I was like, no way. It's like, this is actually a good movie. And now it wasn't ruined. Yeah. So for me, I feel like this is a pretty solid movie. Um, I feel like M. Night Shyamalan has his signature all over it. And I love that he also is in this movie for a little bit. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I did not remember that. And I was really surprised to see it. Uh, But I've seen this movie and I'm just surprised. I just never realized that was him back then right and it's one of those things like every time i see an m night Shyamalan movie he kind of makes cameos in all of them for the most part uh which is cool because it's like his little nod to like hey i made this movie and i'm in it because i can yeah which i'm like all right that's cool (laughs) um yeah i really enjoyed this movie i think it is i think it's one of a kind to be honest it is very rare to see something made like this but at the same time I could see where his career took a change in direction, and I wish he would go back to this, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll see in the future. But yeah, let's jump into it. Let's talk about Signs and go into it. But Signs was directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It was directed in August 2nd, 2002. It had a budget of $72 million wow. with a worldwide gross of $408 million. I, I remember this movie being very popular when it came out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's pretty good, and especially for around 2002, right? And that's yeah. a great return for them as well. So I'm sure that's what really got M. Night Shyamalan to do like a lot more movies and get more trusted with the the brand that he was creating. Yeah, because he, he, he did Sixth Sense, and then he, I think he did this. Yeah. Back so to he, back, so he was hot. He was on a roll. And this movie is sitting at a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's fair. Okay. I I think it should deserve a little bit more, but that's around the ballpark I would give it to. I would give this like an 80. Okay. Like a solid 80. But yes, going into the movie, we open up to the casting credits and title card as the music builds up and goes wild. I do like the score of this, to be honest. It was really well done. They didn't show anything but title cards, and it was still building up the suspense with the music. So great music. Very old school Hollywood. 
Yeah. It kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, the Men in Black uh, opening credits with like the mm-hmm. music like building up and stuff like that. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm in for an adventure. Okay. Um, but we open up to the play area of the backyard, then cut to Reverend Graham waking up erupting. He walks down the hall and listens next to the door. He hears nothing and continues on. While brushing his teeth, he hears a scream. He runs into a room and listens for it. Meryl, in the other room, wakes up because of the scream as well, and they both run out as they hear the kids continuing to scream, and also scream for them. They run into the cornfield looking for the kids. They find Bo, and then they ask where Morgan is. That's when she says, are you in my dream too? Which is a very interesting statement that she says in the very beginning of the film, and she continues to say a lot of other weird stuff too. So this is our first instance that she gets kind of like premonitions in a way. Yeah, it was really interesting because it's not something they they really address throughout the movie. It's just up to your interpretation. I was waiting to see if they would uh, right. define that. So for me, I feel like she senses things before they happen. And I feel like she doesn't know what's like what's really going to happen or not. And that's kind of like where she's kind of questioning herself. Yeah, I well, think, I'm pro- I'm probably jumping the gun here, but I, I think it's from how I understood it. She may not have been conscious of it, but she, due to her premonition and her, uh, uh, or due to her premonitions, I think she subconsciously left the water cups laying around because she somehow knew there was a connection. Oh, right, and they always saw it as like a tick. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it. No, that's very interesting. That's a good call out too. Um. But yes, they hear Morgan call for them. They get to him, and he explains that the dogs woke him up, and then he explains that he thinks God did it. That's when Graham asks, did what? He turns his head towards the cornfield, which is now completely flattened. We get this great over-the-head shot of a big alien sign in the field, and then we fade into black. Dude, that Pretty is... strong opening. Yeah, that's such a great reveal. I remember my first time watching it. It had such an impact. And even now, it's a trip to see. And for some reason, I don't, I don't know if it just came back in popularity maybe in the 90s or after this movie. Or maybe in the 90s it did because uh, – and that's why this movie was made. But I, I recall like crop signs being a big thing that people talked oh, yeah. about all the time. It was a big topic. And I think there's something like polarizing and such like visually impairing to look at like a crop sign in the middle of nowhere. And it's massive. Yeah, because I think what is so mesmerizing about it is how perfectly done it is, how all the crops are bent down in the exact same uh, direction at the exact same point of like the shaft of the plant. Uh, So it's really cool to see. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, especially for something that size, you could like, yeah, humans can't really make that unless they really plan it. So mm-hmm. it's like the the belief of like aliens, like, oh, it could exist. Yeah. And I do remember there was like that, like panic when there was like crop circles going around too. <laughs> uh, but we cut to the next scene where Bucks County, Pennsylvania, 45 miles outside of Philadelphia title card comes into play. We cut to Graham on the phone trying to make sense of what happened. Hanging up, he heads inside with his kids and they say that their dog isn't feeling too good, seeing that the dog has urinated on the kitchen floor. He says to take the dog outside. Then the policewoman, Caroline, walks into the house, which seems pretty unannounced, to be honest, which is kind of funny. She just, Mm -hmm. like, walks in. I was like, oh, okay. Sounds about right. (laughs) Um, After saying 
a long story about why she was late, she asked what happened to his crops. The kids outside are saying the water tastes funny and that it could be contaminated. And then out of nowhere, the dog begins to be aggressive towards them. We, call, uh, we cut to the cop and Graham in the cornfield and explains that the bend is in the crops that are too perfect for someone to do this. She explains that some animals also have been behaving very funly, funny and also become very violent inside the, in the county that they're in. He asks if it's a virus and says if it's more of a de- and she says it's more of a defense mechanism, which is very interesting to see too. You know, I love I was, that we have this moment. Uh, uh-huh. Just jump in really quick because it really tries to quickly dismiss the thought of like audiences that audience members that are thinking like, oh, maybe this is a prank or something, right? But they really like lay down. That's like his perfectly done. Uh, it's right. a little too impressive to be a prank. Um, so I love that they already get that in the minds of people. The thing that this movie is really good at is giving exposition, but feeling very organic and not very forced down their throats. Yeah, which totally. I really appreciate. They are able to explain as like, okay, cool. This is definitely a weird scenario where, yeah, humans would not be able to do this. And she said, that the ground rules, animals are acting funny and violent. Cool. Mm-hmm. That sets us up for the next scene. So it's it's really cool to, the way they do exposition for this movie. That's when he begins to like be stunned a little bit and then he continues to walk towards where the dogs are. And then he sees that the dog has been killed. Morgan explains that he fell on him and he wanted to kill Bo. He asks if it if he's hurt and then he and then he begins to apologize to Morgan. He grabs Bo and from the playset and heads inside. He then asks for the other dog to be tied down tight. Then we cut to nighttime. We see Graham walk up to Bo in his room. She's, uh, she says that, uh, uh, walks up to Bo in her room. She says that there's a monster in her room and she can't, uh, and she, can she get a glass of water? This was a cool moment. Uh, I don't remember the scene, but I remember it being referenced in another movie. But the whole thing's like, she's already in his room. He wakes up and's like, oh, there's a monster in my room. Can I get a glass of water? I feel like that's yeah. pretty iconic. Yeah, you you can see here where they really try to. There's clearly passion in this movie, especially in like the cinematography. And you have these moments where um, Bo and Graham are uh, have extreme close up shots on their faces, and um, it very much is a, a symmetrical cut back and forth, and uh, that adds a lot of character to the movie. I didn't recall this scene either until we get to the next portion of the scene where we get to the roof. Then oh, it yeah. came back to me. No, oh, it's pretty crazy. I like this scene a lot. It's a good yeah. uh, beginning of like the actual chaos that goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, she explains the water by her bed tastes old. He comforts her and she asks why he talks about mom when he's by himself. That he stays quiet when, and that's when he stays quiet. And she says she doesn't answer to her either, saying that she talks to her as well. He gets started. Uh, he gets startled when he sees a figure outside on the roof. He goes and gets Merle. They both get ready to kick butt of who they think is outside. They come up with this whole plan and everything, which I love seeing the back and forth between them. It's like, oh, you have to swear. It's like, I can't swear and stuff like that. It's like, it's really funny. Uh, they rush out on the count of three and start screaming random phrases. And they come full circle around the house and there's nothing. Then they hear a noise on the roof. They look around up there. And then there's this great use of tension of like the buildup of everything being very quiet. Then they question if it was who they thought they were because they were amazed that it was on the roof. 
the figure jumps down, not being able to see it on screen, and heads into the cornfield. You know what's surprising to me is that when Graham is with Bo and looks out the window and sees the figure, I'm surprised like he sees it on the roof already. And I'm right. wondering why he thinks it's his neighbor or like someone on the ground because it's like, why would they hop down? Um, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. What I really do love about that moment looking out the window, it's so like dark. You can barely see the silhouette of the figure. And I love the eeriness that that builds. Yeah, no, it's really good imagery because it also looks like a human like figure Mm -hmm. and they do look human like for the most part too. And I think that works for the benefit of creating that suspense. Like, oh, yeah, it could be someone still human causing all this trouble. But yeah. us as a viewer, we know it's not, which is kind of yeah. cool for the characters to still believe it could be just the neighborhood kids. Totally. So we cut to the next day with the policewoman talking about if the kids have a uh, baby monitor. And she's talking to the kids at this point. Graham talks to Bo watching TV and sees a bunch of water glasses all over the place. She complains that they all have something wrong with them. Uh, this is Bo. He talks to Caroline later on, and uh, she said that it was nice. Uh, it was a nice thing to do to live here with his brother. Uh, he goes around picking out numerous glasses of water around the house. Then he comes back and apologizes. Then he goes through what happened last night and talks about the details. They just explained that it was dark, that they can't really make up what the figure looked like. Uh, and this is the only part where I kind of had a little problem and it could be like the testament at the time, but they had these like back and forth, like sexist comments about why yeah. it couldn't be a woman. And I was like, damn, this is like too long of a scene to talk about it. And I was like, okay, not the best, to be honest. Not only, the, not, not only is it indicative of the time, but also it's, uh, I think they're in like the Midwest and right. they're uh, in a rural area at that. So I feel like, you know, there might not be a lot of people of color, um, and but I know we're talking about like um, g- like gender and sex here. But yeah, I think indicative maybe location and time, and I wonder if that was intentional. It could be, um, yeah, because it, it did feel very drawn out and long of a conversation. Yeah, like, but I think okay, the, like, the sheriff was very much trying to. Very protective about the conversation, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to show the flaw in, um, in the thinking. Right. And then, yeah. So she pretty much explains that there was a woman who scared some customers earlier and that they should keep all of their options available. She asks if anyone has any grudges against them, like a churchgoer who may have been mad that he left. And then that's when Bo comes in and says the same show is on every station on TV, which I do like that. That's so sick. Mm hmm. I mean, Again, this is another scene that I vividly remember watching. And, you know, at 10 years old, there's a, at least for me, it was kind of hard to distinguish like fact, uh, fiction and nonfiction. And because of like how convincing like this movie was with its news segments and all that, it felt so real to me. Yes. Um, and this I movie's remember very grounded. That. Yeah, exactly. It, it feels like this would happen. There yeah. are some stuff where I'll talk about where it's like, okay, I wish they didn't have that in the movie to make mm-hmm. it a little bit more realistic. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I get where you're going. We'll talk about it when we get there. But you no, know, I, okay. I agree where they, they do such a good job of making this world feel believable. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, when Bo comes in and says that there's the same show on every station, they go into the living room and see that there are signs all around the world. So there's crop circles everywhere at this point. That's so crazy. Yeah. It, it's now it shows like it's not just them. So they're not the ones that are only dealing with this problem, which is good. one thing. One thing I like that M. Night Shyamalan does, he always like features like the country of India in his movies uh, or like not always, but he, he, when he can, he does. Uh, and I right. think it's really cool. Cause like in the news, uh, broadcasting, it's showing like many signs of crop signs showing up in uh, India. Right. Some uh, representations always well earned in this movie, which is good. Um, so uh, on the TV, they're saying it might be the most elaborate hoax ever created or it's real. And I love that that's the only two options. It's like yeah. this could be the best hoax ever, which is pretty cool, or this is real and people should be aware of it. And the delivery of that, right? When the broadcaster's saying it, it's like, this is a little too impressive that, you know what? It, it, it probably is real. And it's, that's scary. Yeah. They're leaning towards like, it is real. Like, yeah. it's unbelievable that someone would be able to pull this off. Like, it's mm-hmm. possible, but the most likely scenario is aliens, which is crazy to think about. Uh, and then, yeah, pretty much everyone in the room is shocked. Uh, and then going outside, the policewoman says that she knows how someone could do that type of work, but can't explain how many people can be involved in the situation. So, again, it's like the disbelief of like, yeah, someone could do this, but not at that scale. Exactly. Uh, she says to take care of themselves and that they have been through a lot. She will continue to investigate and then she drives off. And then we get this great zoom out shot back into the house with the news going on, which was kind of cool to look at. Cool. That's when they drive into town. Morgan asking for some money as the kids go off to the bookstore. And he tells Merle to be back uh, for some pizza in 15 minutes. Inside the bookstore, the workers are talking about the signs. Morgan says it's aliens and they just shrug it off. Back in the pharmacy, Grounds pick, uh, picks up Morgan's inhaler uh, as he can, uh, corrects the girl Tracy that he's no longer a father of the church. And I do like the constant, like, everyone's calling him father, even though he's not been a father for years. That's a good this, little callback. Yeah, this poor guy, though, like, he's like, he's trying to leave that behind, and that's right. his, very much his right to do so, but... He's trying to heal, and then people are not allowing him to. Exactly. Nor yeah, so, do they, are they considerate, they're just self-centered. And, right, they continue like, oh, it's like, can you still comfort me, even though you're yeah. not a father? Still, it's like, that's not why I'm here. And he still does it, which is really sweet of him, to be honest. But Reluctantly, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's crazy. But yeah, she begs to clear her conscience because she feels bad that she did something sinful. Uh, that's when we cut to Merle talking to the sergeant about what's happening. Uh, the sergeant talks about that they're scouting a level of danger. And to, uh, and to also prepare for the rest of them. Uh, that's when he asks for an enlisting pamphlet. He says he recognizes him from the baseball career that he used to have, that he's broken many records. That's when a complete bystander out of nowhere is like, yeah, he also broke the record for most strikeouts. It's like, dude, who is this dude? He comes yeah. out of nowhere. It's like, it's kind of funny. Cause it's like, now he has to like prove himself. And now we have a little bit more character development. So I get why that came into play, but I was like, who is this person? It's really <laughs> funny. Uh, he, and I, I love this line that he said. He said it felt wrong not to swing. And that's why he has the most strikeouts. That he constantly has to like do something, I guess. He always has to like fight for, I guess, that record, I guess, for a reason. Or 
I don't know. It's he, just like his determination is like, it feels wrong not to go after something. It That's feels how wrong I took not it. to try, right? Right, uh, exactly. You see that very much reflected through the rest of the film where he has a hard time grasping with giving up and he's seeing that reflected in his brother. But he he wants to keep swinging until the very end. Exactly. He keeps that faith alive that he's going to yeah. get that hit. Uh, and I just put here, yeah, it's a great metaphor. Uh, Bo takes a sip of her water and says the water is contaminated. Morgan explains to the bookkeepers that uh, it's, it's a tick that she has. And then back at the pharmacy, he's letting Tracy repent and tells him a whole entire story. He ends up at the pizza place telling t- everyone to stay away from Tracy, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Uh, and then that's when we get a nice little cameo of the director uh, outside going into his car, and Morgan asks if that's him. Meryl answers and says, um, oh wait, um, yeah, Meryl answers him and says, or, and then Graham looks stunned. They make eye contact, and it's a bit awkward before he drives off really fast. Bo asks who he is, but no one answers. That's so tough. I didn't, you know, I only, you can only really realize what this most moment is in retrospect after you finish the film. Um, right. And man, that is just so tough to think about. You know, we'll learn later that an accident happened and it was an accident, but I can only imagine the weight from both parties to have to like be in proximity to each other and that, that just seems so challenging to deal with. Right. It is that awkward scenario of like, damn, I'm the one responsible. You're the one that blames me. I killed your wife. I feel responsible for myself. He never like forgave himself essentially too, which we'll learn later. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of heartbreaking once you really know like what really happened behind the scenes. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, back at the house, we see Morgan with the baby monitor and he says that he found it in the basement. He says, what if it's catching the signal from them because they can hear something coming from it? That's when they, uh, that's when everyone says, like, it's just a scam and people are the ones making the signs. Graham says it's just static and to turn it up. Uh, you do hear the signal become a little bit louder and that's when Graham takes it and listens. Then says, it's just noise. As they get out of the car, more sounds come through. Morgan says nobody moved saying that he hears voices coming from it, and that's when everyone begins to be very quiet and listen in. Meryl asks for it, and during the handoff, more signals start to come through. Graham explains that this is why he doesn't watch TV. Great line. (laughs) Uh, Everyone says, don't let go as Morgan climbs up on the car. Then they all climb up on the car. They sit on top of the car and listen as Morgan raises it up into the sky. He says that there's two of them. I want to comment on this shot in particular where yeah, it's a great shot. Morgan's holding up the walkie and you get just like a shot um, based like off from his arm. Them. Well, yeah. actually, no, I'm talking about the shot where it's pointing at the walkie talkie and oh, all okay. you see is his hand, the baby monitor and the clouds in the sky. And that's what I'm talking um, about. This yeah, movie yeah. has a lot of uniqueness and character when it comes to its styling and its shots. And it really tries to push the boundaries of shot styles that you don't really see all that much before. Like this moment of the shot was really impressive to me because it it 
it's so hard to catch, but there's this grandiose in this shot of this walkie-talkie or this baby monitor and holding it up to the sky where it felt like it felt like his hand was this giant like tower and it was very appealing to me. And um, again, I just want to call out that this movie has a lot of character in its shots and this was one I just really liked. No, I agree with that too. And it's kind of like he's reaching out to them in a way out to the sky. Yeah. And it's kind of very symbolic of like, um, it kind of reminds me of that painting where it's like God and man touching tips with the fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I can see that. It's, it's, it's that communication. It's like the connection that they're having between them as humans and the aliens. And the shot kind of represents that connection of like being connected to the sky with that shot. Totally. And then being back grounded when we get the opposite shot of like the camera pointing down at them as well. So it's that that connection between them being in the middle and being a little bit raised up by the car, which is kind of yeah. cool. Uh, let's see where I Okay, yeah. So yeah, he says that two of them are talking as we hear alien sounds coming from the baby monitor, and then it just stops. Then we cut to nighttime, and the dog is barking outside. Graham notices that he's barking at the cornfield. The dog almost attacks him and continues to whine and bark. He goes and gets a big flashlight and points it towards the field. He goes to go. Uh, he goes in to investigate. Brave man, I would not do that. <laughs> I mean, no, nah, I don't care how big that flashlight was, which was <laughs> massive. Uh, he hears snickering sounds all around him. He uh, he makes it to an opening of the crops and it's super silent and just literally like no sound, which is another thing to point out with this movie. It has really great sound design. Yeah, totally. Um, he says that they're. Uh, he says they are wasting their time there, and that he's not going to report this, and that they're not going to get famous, thinking that it's like a bunch of people who are trying to get this uh, popularity from doing this. He backs up slowly and then heads towards back the house. Out an opening, he stops and hears something behind him. He drops his flashlight. Slowly picking it up, he bangs it back on, and he sees a pair of legs go back into the cornfield. I love these moments in this movie. They are so impactful. They're so thrilling. And they're scary. It's so subtle. It's just like a pair of legs going into a cornfield, but you know that's not human legs. The beauty in this movie, man, like those moments where you do catch the glimpse of of a bottom half of a leg and a heel and just like, oh, I think I saw something, right? And it's it's reflected so perfectly, in my opinion. No, I completely agree. It's... It, less is more sometimes in movies. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And that's the big thing about like, that's what makes Jaws Jaws. And I, that's why I brought it up in the very beginning is that yeah. it builds that suspense of like, you want to see it. And thankfully, we get the gratification towards the end. But at the same time, the buildup is what really matters, not really the reveal. And that's exactly. like the big thing with like magicians and stuff like that, right? The reveal is yeah. like, oh, it's cool and all, but it's the buildup that builds up the suspense that really shows the impact in the showcase. I'm of the mindset that a reveal will never live up to expectations. And I remember this being a big thing in horror movies throughout the 2000s where it was, you know, because of the limitation of technology at the time, you know, uh, everyone was making the move to CG. Um, It was always the buildup of what does the creature look like? How, How does the monster look like? And it always is revealed towards the 
end of the movie. And it's always, I remember people always giving feedback in most movies that it was like a letdown, like, like, Oh, like it wasn't as scary or like, you know, because they were so focused on like the buildup, the buildup. And sometimes the right. buildup, like you said, it's just so much more impactful than the re- reveal could ever be. And it's always funny because uh, for other like moviegoers, if they don't show it, they'll get mad about that too. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Like, oh, they never showed us what it looked like. I always wanted to look at it. So it's like it's a double-edged sword sometimes. Totally. But yeah, uh, seeing the legs, he begins to run out of there and makes it back to the house. Everyone inside, he just stays quiet and can't seem to talk about what happened. The kids notice him sitting down in silence and then Miro as well. Graham looks at them and says, okay. Let's turn on the TV. <laughs> Love it. Uh, now watching TV, they see that there are some UFO sightings in Mexico airspace. Morgan says, we have to tape this. Bo said that uh, Bo is very sad because he's trying to use his uh, her ballet recital. Rightfully so. That's important too. Uh, but he explains how important the situation really is. That this is going to be something that she's going to tell her kids about. Uh, and- but... Yeah, I just want to add in this is like there's moments of like delivery like that Morgan has here sprinkled throughout the movie that it feels like there isn't enough like energy in the in the actor's portrayal here where it feels like it's just being like a line is being read off of a script or something. Uh, but I feel like that's more so probably not the fault of the actor, but probably in the way they were directed to deliver the line. I could see that. Yeah, there, there's a lot of like weird moments. Like this could be a moment where they can take it away and nothing would really like happen. It's like, cool, it's her ballet recital. It says that, oh yeah, this is a very good family moment. But at the same time, they could have just gone in like an empty tape and it doesn't really affect the storyline. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But I, I think feel it's like a good moment. I just think the delivery could have been better from Morgan. Gotcha. Yeah, that's fair. There's a lot of moments where like it feels a little out of place. Yeah, I agree. And this is one of them for me. Yeah, there was one for me too. I thought there was going to be something important on Mural's tape that they taped over. Or it was going <laughs> to yeah. be like oh. like maybe yeah. a baseball scene where it's like, yeah, all right, like his back whole, to his like swing away. I don't moment. know. And yeah. it says swimsuit special. And <laughs> this movie does that a lot. It adds a lot of comedy subtly placed where I think a lot of people can miss it and they don't really yeah. like have that moment where like isn't this funny they just like no one notices it it's just for the viewer to think is funny or be like wait a minute that doesn't make that's not supposed to be there <laughs> I actually respect the movie for that that's true like it's funny if like they ever play this tape back it's like half of it is his stuff and then it's yeah. like aliens and then that's the later half is just like more swimsuit stuff I mean swimsuits special <laughs> makes it seem like it's a little raunchy to me so I think that's what makes it <laughs> so fair. funny. Uh, yeah, so essentially they start taping it. Um, the TV says that this is real and unedited for the footage that they're showing. That's when we cut to more glasses on the TV as Graham and Merle continue to watch late at night. They say that some people may think it's at the end of the world, and he agrees. Merle says, can't you be like you used to be and comfort me? Then he goes on the speech and talks about miracles and being lucky that it uh, that it is uh, possible that there are no such thing as coincidences. He explains uh, that's what Meryl explains this whole like entire makeout story that it was a miracle that he <laughs> kissed her and didn't get peeped on essentially. Yeah, <laughs> so, like, that's uh, that's how you connect the miracle. I love it. 
Why not? That was, uh, that's, a, that's the sprinkled comedy that you were talking about, too, in a way. Like, kind story is literally out of left field. Like, you could yeah. have said anything else. I found it comedic, but I don't know if that was the intention. I think it was just a way for, like, anyone to be able to relate to and understand. But, yeah. I wonder. Yeah, a little bit I of a heart to it heart. Funny. Yeah. It, it's another one of those moments. like, uh, that's a too out of place story. Yes, yes I was going to say the same thing. You could literally make any story maybe about like anything like, oh, I almost got in a car accident myself or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's too dark <laughs> because the context, but yeah, yeah, it felt a little out of place. Um, and then that's when Graham pretty much asks, does he feel comforted? Meryl Mer- says, yes. And that's when Graham says, Colleen's last words, see, swing away. He explains that her brain was dying and it was a random memory. He says, no one is watching out for us. We are on our own. Damn. It's pretty dark. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty powerful because it's, uh, Graham's like a previous reverend. And after his wife had passed, he decided to no longer pursue that. And, um, you know, I, I don't remember much of this movie, but I uh, really thought, like, as we got into it, it was going to be heavily leaned into religion. But I, I feel like it was actually quite the opposite. It was showing someone that um, lost their faith and all that. I'm like, huh, this is kind of refreshing to watch. Because um, I think it just, when you're willing to go that far and show the struggles of people, it, it could be uh, more empathetic and uh, just. I think better storytelling overall. No, I completely agree. I feel like this movie, if you really think about it and like how we're doing it, we're breaking it scene by scene is very deep. There is a lot of deep layers to this movie and there's a lot of themes and talking about like, yeah, a man who was devoted to God, who preached the word of God is now in a place of like, yeah, we are abandoned essentially and we're on our own. There's no one here to help us, but exactly. That's a complete 360 or sorry, 180. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> math degrees. Um, we get a full 360 at the end of the movie, essentially, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which is really cool to see. And that's how like life is, right? Life is unpredictable. But at the same time, they have this idea of like coincidence. Uh, there is no such thing as coincidences, mm-hmm. which I think is a very powerful thing. It's like everything's meant to happen how it's supposed to happen. Yeah, it was, and and they drive that a lot in this movie, and we'll talk about it when he has the flashbacks. Even what his wife says, it's like, oh, it was meant to happen. There's always these like instances, like even the swing away, like everything's predicted. The water being left everywhere, like you brought up, is like, did she really unintentionally do that? But at the same time, she was meant to do that. Yeah. So like everything in this movie is also intentional. So it just makes this movie like, damn, this is like very layered. This is very well written and I guess like and Night Shyamalan does a really good job of delivering that impact without like I said driving that exposition totally. for us to discover it but yeah talking about the flashback we cut to the flashback of the night of the accident Graham dressed as a priest he goes up to the policewoman uh, and, fills, and who fills him in on the situation that Ray was asleep at the wheel then he asks what ambulance is she in she says that she's not in an ambulance and that's the end of that flashback. Uh, that's when we cut to him waking up again. He follows the cables of the TV into the closet where Merle's watching the TV. He says it's for the children's protection. He says that the aliens have turned invisible, that they are replaying a bird flying into where the ships were, 
and stopping in midair, crashing down to the ground, that they might have an invisible shield. I'll, and I pretty much put here on my notes, like, I love how realistic they made this movie look and how yeah. the news look, too. Even to um, today's standards, I think it it doesn't show a lot, but enough where it feels very real. Yeah. Like I said, I think we'll repeat ourselves a lot. Uh, less is more sometimes. Yeah. Like, you don't have to have the close-up of the ship. Dumb exactly. being lights in the sky is good enough because we've seen footage like that, right? We There's always, like, footage, like, leaking and stuff like that, too. Yeah. It is funny that we're covering this in a very weird time where even the government is talking about aliens. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're, like, fully aware. It's, like, there's a lot of conversations about, like, the government is like, oh, yeah, aliens exist. There's UFOs. We're beginning to be uh, more transparent and stuff. So I was like, oh, man, this is crazy. This could happen. It's crazy. Know. Um. Yeah, uh, Meryl's still take, uh, talking about the crop circles as a navigational tool. He walks into the kids' room and notices a tin. <laughs> he walks into the kids' room and notices tin foil on their heads. This is one of the scenes where it kind of took me out. I don't oh, think really? they needed the tin foil stuff. I it I didn't dislike it or anything like that. I felt like it, you know, they're kids and it actually reflects probably what they were reading from the book and. Uh, I think it's True. supposed to be one of those comedic moments again. I I think it's how they're shaped. Oh, yeah. I think that if there was just like a flat like tinfoil around their head, I'll be like, okay, a little bit more believable. But they had it like in a cone and I hate <laughs> that I saw Scary Movie 3. I'm like, that's a Hershey kiss. Uh, I swear to God, it's a Hershey kiss. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I saw Scary Movie 3 like multiple times, but I don't remember much of it anymore. So I didn't have the same like reaction. Right. Yeah. Which I, I think going into this movie, not seeing Scary Three a uh, scary movie three, you won't have that reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the sad reality of like how I view it. I can't unsee it. So it's like, damn it. That's so funny. Um yeah, Morgan says it's for the aliens to not read their minds. He shares the book with him about the aliens. Bo explained that this is serious because Graham is pretty much chuckling a little bit and not taking it too serious. Um they continue going through the book and they said that there's two reasons why they would visit exploration or harvesting our planet. Ooh. Again, we have like the only two options, which is yeah. like two big ones. Uh, we see some illustrations of the aliens and UFOs. One of them burning a house that looks just like theirs. Even the depiction of two kids and an adult dead on the ground. That's that was I mean. eerie. And it's a... Uh... You know, some people might call it cheesy, but I love that it does look like their home. And even in the illustration, it's a, it's three. It's like an adult and two children. I, it, right. I, if we're talking horror, I love how close of a depiction it is. And you can tell, like with his uh, face reactions, he he sees the uh, similarities too. And oh yeah, he's worried totally. about it. Yeah. And they even talk about it's like, oh, it's even the same windows. It's like the small details. Yeah. bring everything together and it, it goes back to that conversation like there are no such thing as coincidences it's definitely impactful yeah uh although it's impactful the tension is broken by a ringing phone he goes to answer it and someone says father then we get a dead phone tone uh what seems like a little bit later graham says he's going to raise house and that he thinks he's the one that was the person who called Bo asks morgan if he thinks something bad is going to happen he asks if she is having one of her feelings. She says yes, and that uh, that she does not want him to die. He asks who said he was going to die, and repeats himself a few more times until we cut to Graham outside Ray's house. 
And this is a little bit more of like that premonition that she has, right? Some of her feelings. She yeah. can tell when something bad's about to happen. Yeah. Uh, with Graham outside Ray's house, he looks around the house looking for anyone home. He sees through the window that a lamp has been knocked over. Turning around, he sees Ray in his car. Graham walks over and greets him. Ray looks stunned, and he has all of his stuff packed in his car. He also, uh, Graham also notices that there's blood on his clothes. He asks what happened. He says that he was, uh, that he wrote his number on the wall and he had it in his house for years. He didn't know who else to call. He said that he worked so long that night that he, uh, he never slept in his car since. That it had to be that right moment, that 10 to 15 second gap. It was like it was meant to be. And this is Ray talking about the night of the accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to like, it was meant to be. Out of all the nights, no one ever walks that road. It was that 10 to 15 seconds he was tired that it happened. Things, uh, things were meant to happen. It's so sad. And it's, uh, you know, I, I think we could all relate. We've all had moments where things may happen in our lives. And it's like, if one second was different, maybe things could have changed. But I think right. that's something that everyone can relate to. It's always the, it's the what ifs yeah. in life, right? And it's, and like you said, it happens on the, almost a daily basis sometimes. It's like, oh, could be even a small thing. It's like missing the bus. It's like, exactly. oh, because I missed the bus. I heard that bus got in that accident. I'm okay now. Yeah. It could be like something grand like that, which is scary to think about. It's like anything can happen at any moment. Yeah. Which is so true. Yeah. Life. Um, and then that's when he says, and this is Ray, I guess this is the end of the world and he's screwed for killing the Reverend's wife. He says he's going to the lake, says that none of them are near water, that it can't be anywhere worse than here. That's when he apologizes for what he's done to him and his family. He just says to not open his pantry that he lost one of them in. Then we cut back to Merle watching TV and seeing some more footage of aliens. We see the birthday footage and it looks pretty good, to be honest. Um, I, I feel like this scene that they show on the TV where they kind of cut to and then kind of like show the whole entire footage was a smart idea. This Because then we get, I feel like we get more and more each time we see like footage, which is great. This was the moment when I was a child where I screamed and ran out of the room and screamed to have the movie turned off and I couldn't do it anymore. Was that reveal <laughs> of the alien walking past the alley. And I always get so giddy now whenever I watch this scene because I, I remember that moment so vividly of how scared I was. And uh, it's funny, like, you know, being scared is usually not a great feeling. But I when I think back at seeing this scene for the first time, I always smile. I'm like, uh what a fun that's time. That's the thing that got me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What a fun it, time. I think the thing that's very effective with this footage is that it feels very realistic and very like um B-movie. Like this does seem like someone filmed this for real and these kids are reacting yes. very realistically too. Like they're jumping from window to window to catch this thing. And you're and you're just like Merle. You're like, move kids, get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. You have that same type of uh, intention of like, I want to see what they're seeing. And I think they definitely use their weakness as a strength, right? Because of the the CG uh, not being too impressive, impressive at this time, uh, they use a like a, a shaky cam with low quality, right. and with that zoom in where it even decreases the quality even more. And because of that, it looks a lot more realistic. But I, I just think like the way this uh, 
the blocking in this shot is just so genius because it's a one second, but it's so impactful. And, and that's a clever mind that came up with that. Yeah, that's a great scene. And it's, it's a very impactful too of like, now they're becoming more involved in human activity as well, right? Mm-hmm. They're always been afar. Now they're like, they're right outside and they don't care that you see them. Yeah. So it's, it's getting a little bit more uh, activity, which is a little creepy. Uh, so watching the footage, this gets Meryl scared and re- and then he starts to rewatch it and is stunned as he pauses on the alien. And then we get a little bit better look at it. Uh, back with Graham, he goes into the house and sees the blocked door of the pantry. He sees a shadow below the doorframe. He says that he's a police officer and that he wants to talk to him. He says that he uh, he knows about the hoax and he has some of his friends and to not throw his life away. He gets low and looks under the door. He sees the knife on the counter and grabs it, uh, looking at his own reflection. And I love this scene too. It's a really good thought out scene. It's like, who uses a knife as a reflection mirror to look under a door? Yeah, I think this is a, uh, a scene that people think of when they think of this movie because of the cleverness of the reflection from the knife. And I think, um, I think it adds, like I've been saying, this whole episode adds a lot of character to this movie. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah, it's just clever. Yeah. Uh, he gets closer and then gets back up and begins to turn around. He comes back fast and sees the alien hand go toward him. We see him scream and chip off some digits of the alien hand. And I was like, damn, I don't remember that. That scared me when he cut off the the fingers. Yeah, like, I didn't remember oh that God. either. Nor do I remember it is so them having vividly. Like, claws. It's so creepy. Yeah, no. Uh, and he's lucky because we learned what they can do with their hands too. Yeah. And the effect they had with other people in the world. Exactly. Uh, but right when they cut the, uh, when he cuts the fingers off, we cut to birds flying out into the sky, which is a great cut. Great edit. There's some really good editing moments in this movie as well, which I have to give a shout out to. Yeah, totally. Um, it, it seems like they were reacting to his action. Ben Rowdy, it seems like they're also panicked and leaving as well. So it also builds up what's going on with like the animals. They they are just getting the hell out of there as well. Yeah. Uh, he gets back to his house and sees his whole family in tinfoil hats at this point. And I hate that I just laughed right now, but I was laughing when I saw it again. And I was like, damn it, fucking Hershey kisses. <laughs> uh, he asks Morgan what would happen if they are hostile. He says that they would invade in hand-to-hand combat so humans won't use atomic bombs. That's pretty... Um, crazy to think about too that they would yeah. just like they would battle them hand to hand and not use their technology that way they are outsmarting us in a way as well i mean yeah like you know a lot of people assume that if and if there is an alien race that they would be technologically advanced but maybe the, uh, they're like biologically enhanced and as we could see later on they could spew poison from their bodies and stuff so maybe they don't have things like weapons and all that but maybe they do right. have like flying devices and so on and they seem to be very strategic. Yes. Which is like even a scary thought. They're they're basically like hunters in a way. Yeah. Like, we're they, like a prey. They very much seem us. like a warrior race for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny because I don't remember the ending at this point, even though I saw it a few years back. I was wondering, it's like, oh, what if they're just friendly? I don't remember how this movie ends. What if we're just like thinking they're bad and they're just trying to communicate with us? I was but thinking no, that for a they're, bit. They were too. bad. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, they're definitely bad. Um, but yeah, that's when Morgan talks about there are two options. The humans defeat them or they win. He says that he heard a theory that they don't like water. And this is uh, Graham talking to him. Morgan says <laughs> that it sounds made up. Uh, he explains that he saw one at Ray's house and that he wanted and it wanted to harm him. He says that they can go to the lake or stay home. Either way, they'd be together. That's a sweet moment. I like that he said that. Yeah. Uh, they take a vote and it's tied. Then he says that his vote counts for two. They all go against him at that point as Bo changes her vote to stay home. <laughs> he then agrees that they will stay home, but they were going to board up all of the windows and doors. That's when we cut to Murrow outside smoking a cigarette looking at the cornfield. He slowly backs away as he gets back into the house. They see on the TV more UFOs all around the world. They also explain that it's over 274 cities. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and to put it in perspective, they also say that they all are appearing one mile of crop sites. Uh, crop that's sites. terrifying. So not only, like, that's 274 crop circles out there in the world, which is ridiculous. Like, all right, yeah, for sure, aliens at this point. Yeah, I but mean, not only that, I, it's like you've been marked, and we know the family that we've been following has been marked now. Right. And now they're, yeah, they're saying that, yeah, this is a location that they're close by. That's like the ground rules that they just got uh, on the TV. It's like we have a crop circle right outside our backyard and they're near it. So, AKA we're definitely a target. Yeah. And it's crazy to think about. I love the specific number of 274 cities. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. There's so many of them. Yeah. Uh, and then they pretty much talk about like they made a map. Morgan says that they are indeed hostile and they may attack. News reports that many people have flocked to synagogues, temples, and churches. So a little bit more of a religious uh, aspect right here in the news as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, people going to faith as protection. Uh, Graham just orders everyone to get back to uh, back to the windows and starts boarding everything up. Merrill comforts the kids and says he wouldn't let anything happen to him. Morgan then says he wishes he was their dad. Hmm. Uh, Meryl says to never say anything like that again as they continue to board up the house. That's a very powerful line, too, where Morgan prefers Meryl as their father than Graham because Graham pretty much lost his faith and doesn't feel comforting to his own children at this point. Yeah, he's obviously been like conflicted and struggling. And as a result of that, his, uh, you know, his children has lost their mother and, uh, they really need the support of their dad, but like, you know, it's tough for him too. So it's a very complicated situation and I feel for all of them. Yeah. Uh, the nice thing about this movie too, where they don't like really hammer it over our heads as a viewer, the family dynamic that they're very strong together, but they have a lot to work on as yeah. well together. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, especially with the, I feel like there is a contrast between Merle and also Graham where they are complete opposites at this point in time where they felt very unified earlier on where Graham or sorry, Merle talked about Graham later on in the movie saying, I looked up to you. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's like, now he like took over that role as a father figure because uh, Graham lost his faith in God essentially. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting because you can kind of see Morgan 
kind of be that figure for Bo, always trying to say like, oh, I will never let something bad happen to you. He kind of takes a little bit of a father role and kind of grows up very quickly for Bo to feel comforted in everything that she's experiencing as well, which I found really cool. As like relations like evolve during this movie in an, an hour 45 runtime, there's a lot of character development in yeah. all of them, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, he explains that they will have to board up the rooms, uh, the room doors, because they cannot um, pretty much board up the whole entire house with the windows because they didn't have enough boards, and that they will sleep in the living room. Uh, they make small talk about their meals and about what they want to eat. And I found, I found this scene kind of sad to think about. They were talking about all about different meals. It's like, I want a cheeseburger with extra bacon. Uh, I forgot what the other one said, but it's they're pretty much talking about their last meal. Yeah, and I think the children... I know Bo didn't grasp it. Morgan, maybe a little bit. But like I think they didn't really understand what this meant. And uh, I think um, for the adults, they very much did. Right. And it's funny that it's coming from Graham because if we were taking it with the religious context, he's kind of like the Jesus figure of knowing what's about to happen in the Mm -hmm. last meal. Yeah. And the way they even sit, he's like at the head of the table and they're like surrounding him kind of like the last meal photo. And it's like, damn, maybe there is a lot of symbolism about religion in this movie and kind of regaining that as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we cut to them eating dinner, all sitting quietly. He tells everyone to eat uh, because everyone's not really doing anything. Morgan says that they should say a prayer. Graham says no. Then he replies, I hate you. You let mom die. That's so sad. Uh, So you can tell that it looks like Morgan does kind of blame him for his mother's death in a way. Yeah, but he just doesn't understand, you know, like what could he have done? Right. Which as like, a, I guess, a person to blame, which is like, yeah. sad to think about. Uh, and I think it's because he lost his faith that he blames him for that. Yeah. yeah. He said he's not wasted one more minute in prayer. Another strong line for someone who was devoting their whole life to prayer. Uh, he orders everyone to enjoy the meal and for Bo to stop crying. Bo continues to cry as he eats and becomes sobbing himself. He hugs his kids and Merle, and it's a very touching moment. I think this is where he starts to really realize that he's losing it and losing the touch of reality of like, they're all going to die and he doesn't know how to handle it because he doesn't believe in anyone can save him or have faith into something of a happy ending. That's how I take it. I don't know how you would take it. I think the clock is, they're realizing the clock is ticking and they're feeling the anxiety of it. Um, you know, the final showdown coming to a, coming closer. And I think because of his loss in faith and, you know, the rest of the family seeing a reflection of that, they're uncertain of what's going to happen after they die, right? Because I think a lot of like religious families could find a lot of comfort that like we'll be together even in the afterlife, right? But I think. For this family, they're really thinking that's that's not going to happen. Or, you know, some of them may think it does, but we clearly see who thinks there is no afterlife. And, you know, to some that may mean they're not going to see their mother or wife or um, sister-in-law again. And 
I think it'd be very traumatic. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a full moment of realization of what could happen, and he's a firm believer. He even told Meryl, "It's like, yeah, this feels like it's the end of the world," and he one hundred percent believes that at this moment. And at the same time, he's not really. I mean, I feel like it is a comforting moment for him as a father to like grab them and start hugging them. Um, I think it's coming from a bad place in my eyes, but uh, I think at this point it's like, hey, we only have so much time left, so let's let's spend the rest of our time just loving each other, right? Instead of crying right now or like him yelling at them. Yeah, yeah. I think he was just uh, having a breakdown, and yeah, it's he's human. Absolutely. And I have to say, Mel Gibson's performance in this is really well done. And I have to say, for the majority of everyone, they do a really good job of making this very believable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hawking Phoenix does a really good job as well. Yeah. Although I felt like he was too old for who he should be portraying for some reason. Mm-hmm. Okay. Especially with like the baseball stuff. But I don't, I don't know. Uh, but that's when we hear the baby monitor go off with a bunch of alien sounds. They check the TV and it's no longer broadcasting. It's just on that dead signal page. They um, they reinforce the boards, making sure everything's tight, and it becomes silent outside. And this is another great sound design. It's like there is nothing going on. You hear crickets, and then the crickets stop. Yeah, nothing, which is really cool. It's a great method of just like like something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, that's when they begin to board up all of the rooms. He shares the story of Bo not crying when she was born, and that she looks like an angel, that she looked up at him and smiled, and that the doctor said that kids don't normally smile when they're that young. Um, and before they go off to like other um, stories, they realize they forgot Isabel the dog. Bad dog parents. That's yeah, they up. are. That's terrible. They tied it's up really the dog. Sad. They tied it. Um, yeah. And... I'm glad they don't show it because yeah, I too. hate when they kill off dogs. And I, I know you do too. It's like yeah, one of the big things. I'm not a fan. But just hearing it enough is kind of heartbreaking. Um, but essentially, yeah, they realized that they forgot Isabel. And I even put here on my notes, I said bad dog parents. Uh, so I, I actually, wanted to make sure I said that in the, in the show. I um, had the volume lowered so I wouldn't have to hear it at this oh. part. Yeah. But yeah, essentially you hear Isabel whine and then cry and then silence. Mm. Um, Meryl asks if they should turn off the lights. And that's when Graham says, they already know that we are here. Damn. Yeah. Damn. That's a really good, powerful line too. Yeah. That's as solid as like, you're good. It's like, it doesn't matter at this point. They know. Oh man. That's scary. That's really that's, scary. That's, Imagine that, like, imagine you boarded up your own house and you hear stuff outside and you're like, should we turn off the lights? Like, it's too late. Yeah. That's essentially what he's saying. It's too late. Yep. Yeah. Uh, They stay still listening to all of the creaks outside as they see shadows passing by. They begin to hear a bunch of thuds, one trying to get in from the front door. He then talks uh, about Morgan's birth. Meryl giving a play-by-play, and then that's why Meryl's giving a play-by-play of them being on the roof, and then now in the house, and Graham is just continuing the story about his mom saying that he was his mama, and he's just like she dreamed. They realize they forgot the the cellar door, or that like the little panel to get inside the roof. Yeah. Uh, 
And that's when they pretty much start running away, and Morgan sees a alien hand under the door. Ooh. I, I love the dolly shot here. If it is a dolly shot with the hand going underneath, I think it's super eerie. It's creepy because now it's like reaching out towards them. Yeah, very thrilling. It's uh, it's it's the glimpses of the alien that make this movie so great. Yeah, and it's you just have to show me like one to two seconds. I'm like, oh, I saw it. It's creepy. That's I all like it. Takes. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they all head to the basement, saying that they will. And then they were talking about like, oh, they will read our minds because they don't have the tinfoil hats. Okay, the Hershey Kiss. Yeah. Uh, that's when they lock the door, and the door, jo- uh, the doorknob begins to jiggle as Graham grabs it. He says to himself, "I'm not ready." It's a good line too. You know, um, I want to ask you. I don't know if my my stream was messing up, but like in this moment where he has the epiphany that he's not ready to die, did it yeah. go in slow mo for you? A little bit. No, that's okay, for yeah. sure. In the fact, that's not mm-hmm. even like yeah, yeah. Super cheesy. <laughs> Did you watch it on Amazon Prime? Yeah, I did. It could be an Amazon Prime thing, or it could be a like aesthetic that they decided. Yeah, because it happens one other time um, towards the end of the movie. But um, it's it's. I think it would have been a lot better if it didn't have the slow mo kind of like takes you out of it. But like, uh, it's it's cool that he has this epiphany that he's like he realizes he's not ready to die when he right. He's there to protect he was. his family. Yeah, because exactly. I think a lot of people think they're accepting if if you know the final card was drawn for them. But I think in the moment, a lot of people realize, no, I don't want this. Right. Yeah. I feel like, uh, yeah, there's a TV show. I don't know if you watched the boys. I don't No, but there's, there's a scene where it's like, never mind. I don't want to spoil it, but there's a scene where it's like, it's almost like ready to die. And she's like, no, I want to live. Yeah. And and I feel like that's a good moment. It's like, that probably is very realistic. It's sad to think about. Uh, I even put here on my notes, Merle, not being the brightest, grabs an axe and swings it off the shelf, knocking out the light bulb. So <laughs> essentially now they're in complete pitch black where we see Morgan turn on a flashlight and both Merle and uh, Graham are holding the door closed at this point. Graham asks where is Bo and they find her saying, I'm okay. They find a radio and turn it on and there's absolutely nothing on the radio. That's when we hear more thuds at the door. He explains that they're only making noise to distract them. I love that. This is where they show that they are very strategic, and now they're just doing things to get their attention, but not really get in. And that's pretty much what Morgan kind of talks about. Yeah, it's very uh, fascinating, and it really shows how this this alien race is like their technicians, or tacticians, you know? Um, they're very intelligent, you can tell. Yeah, I love that this book pretty much had all the answers <laughs> yeah it's kind of crazy morgan had like all of the knowledge right he's like yeah. morgan says that they are problem solvers that they'll find a way in and yeah. i feel like it goes back to like dumb going to the bookstore him getting money being able to buy the book reading about it and being very uh accessible to his knowledge about the book that he bought with the money that he borrowed like it was domino effects to lead him yeah. up to this moment it's like nothing's a coincidence it does feel a little too linear for me, but I'll let it pass. I, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I, I feel it. But yeah, essentially, yeah, he pretty much explains that there are problem solvers, that they'll find a way in. And that's when Graham says that there is a coal chute in there. 
Uh, they start to look around for it, and they and I found this kind of weird and off putting because I was like, "This is your house; you should know where it is." But sure, maybe you never go down your basement. Uh, I think that's I'll the give case. It a pass. Yeah, because yeah. I know uh, these, uh, I, I know like there are some people where they straight up don't know what's in their basement because it's just so so much stuff that like you know it's just where do you even find it? That's true, but it's like a big part of the wall. That's a good know. point. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll give it a pass regardless. <laughs> but I was like, I was thinking about it when I was like watching the movie. I was like, you guys should have seen it, but <laughs> why not? Uh, he, let me see where I go. Oh, yeah, they start to look for it, and they see that Morgan's in front of the opening as the alien hand grabs him. They drop the flashlight, and Bo picks it up. They cover the opening with a bunch of bags of fertilizer so the aliens don't get in. That's when we see Graham and Morgan having an. Uh, that's when we see Graham with Morgan having an asthma attack. He explains that they don't have his medicine, his inhaler. Bo said that she dreamt this, and that's another thing. It was like she definitely had a premonition about this moment in time. Yeah, very interesting approach to her character. Yeah, which yeah, they still don't really explain how. Yeah, yeah. but everything happens for a reason, right? There is no coincidences. Sure, I believe it. Uh, he says to um, he says out loud, "Don't do this to him, don't do this to me." Oh, sorry, don't do this to me again. And he says it a few times, and then he says, "I hate you." And at this point, he's talking to God. Mm-hmm. He tries to comfort um, Morgan the best way he can. He says to breathe with him that they are the same, and Merle just looks at them and then essentially calms them down for the most part at this moment. Yeah, it seems like Merle was using his words to come for himself. Like, I think that's what you're trying to say, right? Right, 100%. And then, essentially, we cut to him saying, we should save the flashlights, so they turn the flashlights off. Uh, And then we go back to the night of the accident. We get a little bit of a flashback. Uh, uh, Caroline, aka the Polish woman, said that his wife has been pinned, that she cannot be saved, and that the truck is holding her together because she's split in two. That she's still able to talk, but not for very long. Caroline asks if he understands. That's when he asks, is this the last time I'm going to talk to my wife? That's when she says, yes. Tough moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't even imagine being in that position. I, oh my god. Yeah, it's a very intriguing, interesting moment because I, I don't know how realistic it's- it is. Right, it's a, it's a weird scenario being able to talk to someone that you yeah. know is about to pass away, and they're your loved one. Yeah, like, this is your last moment, and you know that you, you know, have the opportunity to talk to someone that you know is about to go away. Yeah, that's 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 so devastating. But at least they have that final moment. Uh, I hate to say right. this, but this moment where we get the flashbacks and we're at the scene of the accident, this is when I can't help but think about scary movie. <laughs> I always think <laughs> the about taco breaking, movie. the hot dog breaking. Yeah. And oh, they, man. It's funny because they're pretty on points. Like, do you understand? They actually say that in this movie and they say it in the scary movie. And so she has to explain more about yeah. the, the why situation. Oh, my God. Fuck, I hate I saw a scary movie before I yeah. saw this movie. Damn it. Um, but uh, rewatching it and being able to take show notes for it and being able to pause and reflect on what's going on, I appreciated this moment more. So I didn't think about it this time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thankfully. But it was a good moment between 
the two of them and being able mm-hmm. to talk, which we'll talk a little bit later when it comes up. Uh, but that's when he pretty much wakes up now that there's light because Merle explains that he found some light bulbs. Uh, the radio explains that they are leaving, that they're all, and, and that puts everyone in shock that the aliens are leaving at this point. Uh, he finds out that he's been asleep for 12 hours, that they had, um, and then they talk about that they had poison gas and a lot of people died. Uh, Merrill explains that they must have found a weakness. He says that he's always wanted to be like his older brother, but then he lost faith. He never wants to see him that way again. They look at Morgan and say that he needs the medicine. Uh, that they have to be for sure before they open that door and get out of that basement. They get the baby monitor and just hear static. They both agree that that's good enough for them. And they open the door slowly. He goes upstairs while the camera stays downstairs to build suspense, which I do love that op- that shot. It just stays there looking up the stairs. Uh, and then it looks like it's all clear, so they all go up. Bo explains that people are dancing on the TV, and she's so like happy. They're like, oh, they're doing this, and she like dances a little bit. It's very <laughs> cute. Nice little moment. Yeah. Um, pretty much they said that the Middle East is where the battle turned around. He brings the TV into the living room. That's where he sees the reflection of the alien on the TV holding Morgan. This is so pivotal, and I... I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. I wish, yeah. I wish, I wish that uh, they only had it where you can see the alien through the TV reflection or through the glass versus actually getting a full blown like frontal view of it. I think it it would have added to that uh, imagination aspect that we talked about earlier. Yeah, I, I think I don't know because they do show some cool elements. Yeah, because when they do look at it, you can see that it can camouflage. Yeah, which I think that's a cool element. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like that's a cool trait of an alien to have. Yeah, like, true. They're you survivors. Would... They are hunters. They are like the predator, right? Yeah, uh, they're a chameleon. They can adapt. You make a good um, point because if you if if you only get what I explained, you kind of miss out on those moments. Right, which like that could like I don't need that in the movie. But it's kind of cool that we did get that. Like, that's yeah. an unnecessary trait. But it's a cool trait to look at. Like, these aliens are masters of their environment. They can adapt to wherever they're at. And I think that's the thing where it's like, yeah, that's why we didn't see it so many times. Because it blended in to its environment. And that's why we only got glimpses of it being in the open, essentially. Yeah, good point. Good point. And I think... And it makes me really think it's like, oh, if I rewatch it, it's like with the kids in the birthday, like they couldn't see it until it was like in that open space in the alley. Was it there the whole time in front of the bushes, but camouflaged? Oh, yeah. Like there, there's so many moments like, oh, was there a moment where like it was camouflaged and we couldn't see it, but it was there? Good point. Maybe. So it brings up like the imagination a little bit more. Yeah. But I do agree. I think like we said, less is more sometimes and seeing less of it is more scary than actually seeing it. It's like, oh, I feel like I, I would look at it. It's like, I can take you. <laughs> <laughs> I get you. Maybe. Uh, but they, uh, everyone sees him now, and they see that the alien is holding Morgan, also camouflaged as his shirt. Uh, he remembers the hand at Ray's doing the same thing. And I didn't notice that the first time when he was at Ray's. I guess it was camouflaging. I didn't know until they like flashed back really quick to it. I was like, oh. Cool. Oh, I didn't catch that either. Yeah. 
Uh, and I, I put here, it's like the alien looks pretty good, probably for its time, a little dated now. Uh, but yeah, Graham remembers the night of the accident again. And this is kind of a little jarring why to cut back at this moment. It's like, this is a pivotal, like he's holding your son. Let's go yeah. to a flashback real quick. But at the same time, it makes sense with everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Graham remembers the night of the accident. He talks to his wife, says that she was just, uh, she says that she was just taking a walk before dinner and that it was meant to be. She said to tell Morgan to play games and to be silly, to have Bo listen to her brother, to tell Graham to see, which is himself, uh, to tell Merle to swing away. He remembers the conversation about the coincidences with Merle. Graham looks at the bat on the wall and says, swing away, Merle. <laughs> sure. Uh, Merle grabs the bat and grips it tight. We see the alien gas Morgan in the face with a poison as Bo begins to scream. Merle starts to unload with the bunch of swings that he hits the alien with and spills water on the alien, which hurts it. He starts to swing towards the glasses of water around the house. The alien falls over in the wall uh, and the water, uh, the cup of water falls on it. And that's when we see, uh, let's see. I don't know what I wrote here. That's when we begin to see the water glass broken, spilling more water on it and the TV reflection of the alien dying. He says because of, and that's when they bring uh, Morgan outside, grabbing him, wishing to him to be alive. He says because he has asthma, his lungs were closed, so the poison didn't get in, that he has faith um, at this moment, I believe. That he's like believing, like, oh, I believe that he's okay. He, ha- he has asthma. His lungs are closed. He keeps repeating it, right, to himself. He's, he's trying to like make himself believe that he's going to be okay, which yeah. is a really good scene. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. Um, we hear him say, Dad, and what happened? So he lives. Little Morgan's alive. <laughs> so this brings up the context of even him having asthma, being his lungs closed at that moment, saved him from the poisonous gas from the alien. Yeah, everything's I don't, connected. I don't know if if like your lungs actually close when you have asthma or like in the condition that he was in. But if that's the case, I think that was a really unique way for the movie to solidify that like nothing is coincidence in the story. Right. And I think it's very clever. And uh, like, even his own illness saved his life. Ultimately. Yeah, like he was just, born yeah. to have asthma because it was going to save him from this moment. Um, so it's a it's a really interesting take, and uh, uh, I think this movie does it uh, tastefully. Yeah, uh, it, it, like you said, I don't know how scientifically correct it is, but at yeah, the same exactly. time, it's an alien movie, so okay, your disbelief has gone out the window a little bit. Um, or your belief is out the window. Um, it's one of those moments where it's like, okay, that's a cool way of making him survive. And I like the the fact where it's like, oh yeah, he talked about how he was born, that it was exactly what um, his mom dreamed of him to be. Yeah. And it's very interesting. It's like, oh, was it from the very beginning that she knew he was going to be a survivor of an alien invasion? Maybe, perhaps. Maybe, maybe she had premonitions theory. as well and passed it to Bo. Right. And that's the thing. It's like keep Bo being funny and playing games and being silly. Have or a Morgan do that, and then have Bo listen to her brother and Merle to see, really look at the world with faith. I, that's how I take it. Like that's yeah. what she meant. It's like see what's in front of you. 
um, and then have Merle swing away constantly. Keep going, keep fighting, keep swinging. Yeah. So everything happened for a reason, including the death of his wife. And also Ray giving him the information that water was the main thing. It's like if Ray never killed his wife, he would never have gone to his house and that whole interaction. So it's the whole movie for myself is a big domino effect. Yeah, it's a really good point. Which is crazy. Which like just brings this movie to a whole different level, right? Um but yeah, so essentially Morgan lives. He asks if someone saved him. He replies, I think someone did. That pretty much restores his faith in God. Yeah. Um, that's when we cut to another day and we see Graham dressed like a priest once again, coming full circle back to that 360 mark I said before, before it was the 180. Love it, geometry. <laughs> um, that's when we see him in his robe again and then we get credits. What a movie. Yeah, what a movie. I mean, this movie, like I said, I hated it the first time I watched it. <laughs> I really enjoyed it the second time. I'm glad. I'm, I'm really, really glad happy. I'm really happy we had this on the list because it's funny because um, I told Prince, it's like, oh, I have a lot of thoughts about this movie. And yeah. I had full intention of ripping this movie apart. Uh, yeah, I thought that would and, go down too. And it's funny how like, me doing the show notes and being the one hosting this episode allowed me to really understand the movie and actually really enjoy it for what it was. And I have to say, really great performances, really strong writing. Uh, I love the alien aspect. I love how believable and realistic it was. Uh, just a lot of good things about this movie. And I'm actually really happy that I had that experience because I feel like I can suggest this movie for those who haven't seen it hey, more. Man. Nothing's a coincidence. It was meant to be. <laughs> it was meant to be. I swear to God, that's that. Yeah, that kind of comes full circle. It was meant to happen to be on this podcast to change my mind about this movie and for you to host it so you could do the show notes so you could appreciate it. <laughs> oh my god, uh, that's trippy. But yeah, any, th- <laughs> any last thoughts about you in this movie? Uh, I'm really glad we got to uh, visit this movie on the show. It's some it, for some reason, even though I never finished this movie as a kid. And because I, I was too scared, just I, I always have a fondness when I think of this movie and it just reminds me to, of a simpler time. So I'm, I'm really glad we got to watch it. And I'm surprised that uh, I was able to watch through and not remember a lot of it. I really thought I would go about it this time and be like, oh, this isn't age well or it's it's too pushy and in one direction. But uh, I had a really good time. Absolutely. Yeah, this was a fun watch. And I mean, I'm really happy for this month. I love aliens. So continuing with, um, I believe we have Cloverfield next, oh, which I'm, I'm really excited to go watch. I'm excited um, for that too, because I have only seen Cloverfield the lane for the show. Oh, okay. No, that's going to be very interesting because you have some context, but no context at all. Exactly. Because they're related, but not related at all. Okay. Which is going to be fun for you to watch. Um, but I got some movie facts. Movie facts? Movie facts. Let's see if I can find some juicy ones. Uh, the artwork in the book about extraterrestrials was done by the writer and director of M. Night Shyamalan himself. Oh, wait, no. M. Night Shyamalan's daughter. Even okay. better. Nice. That's, that's really cool. That's really cool to feature her work. Yeah, no, I, and it seems very like, um, I don't want to say childish, but like it looked like a kid did it. And I'm happy to hear like it was like his daughter. If you yeah, showcase it, the work, it's like, hey, can you make daddy some aliens? I love it. I'm going to put was it in my she, movie. Was she young at the time or was she an adult? I would assume young. 
okay. based on the drawings. Got it. Oh wait, are we talking about the like the drawing of like the house and the children on the floor? Oh, I don't know about those drawings. I, I yeah. thought of the aliens. Yeah, about the extraterrestrials. Oh, okay. Um, I got it. I'm assuming it's a kid. <laughs> Maybe. Well, I just gotta say, you know, some parents put their work on like a refrigerator. He puts his work her work on the movie. So yeah, shout exactly. out to him. The stories of the children's birth are actually the stories of M. Night Shyamalan's two children. Oh wow. That's really that's really uh I love that. Yeah. That's adorable. Uh Joaquin Phoenix actually replaced Mark Ruffalo, who I pulled out of the film due to a brain tumor. Oh, that's really sad. Oh my god. Um the crop circles are wait, hmm, I don't know. Oh, okay, okay. I was about to think it's like, oh, are aliens real? I mean, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, the crop circles are real, as M. Night Shyamalan doesn't particularly like using CGI. So they created those crop circles. Wow. No wonder they still look so good. Yeah. Oh, I like this. This is kind of a flex on his part. But M. Night Shyamalan said that this was the <laughs> easiest of all of his movies to write and direct. Interesting. Okay. I wonder why that's the case. I see you. <laughs> Um. Oh, interesting. So Mel Gibson didn't realize Shyamalan was playing the vet until the day they came together to shoot their scenes. Yeah, I think. Uh, I wonder how intentional that was, considering Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay. So the Brazilian video, the I think the birthday video, yeah. was shot with a household camcorder by M Night Shyamalan himself. That's really cool. He did a good job. Yeah. That's the scene that made me run out of room. So bravo to you, sir. And then I'll do one last one. Uh, the dramatic dinner table scene was filmed in only three hours. That's pretty yeah, impressive. I'm even surprised it took that long. But I'm, I don't really have a, a consensus for how long shots like that usually take. But damn. I mean, for such an emotional scene, I could see it take a long time. Yeah. I mean, normally. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll throw just one in here too. This is Abigail Breslin's first uh, film. Man, this that's was her crazy. film debut. Now she has quite the career ahead of her now. Yep, that's cool. Well, that is Signs. Um, great thing, great movie. I think we all enjoyed it. Uh, just a couple things to mention that there are new tiers to our Patreon. So if you want to sign up and hear more spooky talk, we do have a new show that's going to be Patreon exclusive alongside of uh, other stuff that we have. Um, so please sign up if you want to support us or please let us know to anyone who would enjoy us. And another few things is uh, to call out is that there's going to be the list of the upcoming films that will be posted shortly after the release of this episode. And that's pretty much it. So this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Freddie, also known as Nighty Night. And alongside me, we got David. Stay spoopy, everyone. Also known as Nightly. With your help, we can reach out to more ghoulish nights with your recommendation to someone who would enjoy us. If your podcast app allows you to rate our show, please consider us giving us five-star rating, as it does help us out a ton. For extra horror-related content, head over to our patreon.com forward slash nightlight pod. That's night with a what? Okay. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight.